Hello, and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance. IPA is a trade association and buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. And we got a really interesting episode today. In this episode of the IPA podcast, we're going to be speaking with Heather Rogers, the Senior Member Administrator for Independent Pharmacy Alliance. And Heather, she's got a unique background. She's worked for Horizon Mercy, which is an insurer. She's worked for both chain and independent pharmacies. And she has a really unique position with IPA. She is the senior member services administrator. What that means is she handles all of the problems that independent pharmacies run into with PBMs. If we're talking about pharmacy appeals for underwater claims, if we're talking about audits, if you're being audited and you need assistance and you need information, Heather is the go-to person at IPA for those types of things. If you have problems with Medicare, Heather is the go-to person for any problems with any plan that you have. So let's welcome Heather to the IPA podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be back. So Heather, you're an expert in filing below-cost pharmacy appeals. Pharmacies, they have to file these appeals when they're underpaid for the jobs they perform. Usually it's an insurance company or most of the time a pharmacy benefit manager that's underpaying the pharmacy and that's when they have to file the appeal. What's your advice to pharmacies who are on the fence about filing appeals? They'll say it takes too much time. They just don't have the staff or the manpower to do it. What's your advice to them? Should they do it? I think they should absolutely do it. If they say they don't have the time, they should check with their PSAO. Many of them, or just about all of them, have a PSAO with their wholesaler or even one that may not be affiliated with a wholesaler to check with them, see if they are already reporting the appeals on their behalf. If they're not, you should either try to file them or send them to me, and I would be happy to file them for you, but you should absolutely submit them. If you don't submit them, they will not correct the price, so they will just keep taking money from you guys until people call them on it. They don't just do things because it's the right thing to do. So Heather, this is really interesting. A lot of times when pharmacy owners think about filing appeals, they will either do it through their PSAO, the Pharmacy Services Administrative Organization, or through the PBM if they're contracted with a pharmacy benefit manager directly. But what you're saying is pharmacy can contact you and file the appeal for low or below cost reimbursement through you. Could you explain how that works? Sure. Uh, The pharmacy would either fill out a third-party worksheet that I provide, which I can fax to them, or they can go onto the IPA website to fill it out and upload an invoice there. You do have to fax the invoice. All of the PBMs require that. I know that can be time-consuming, but if you're losing several hundred dollars on a medication or even $10 on a medication over and over, it will add up. And I think it would be worth the time. Plus, it's not just your pharmacy that they're getting this money from. They're getting it from every pharmacy and they will keep doing it until they have to update. 
So it's really the pharmacy has a choice. They can either do it on their own and maybe take a lot of time doing it, or they not file the appeal and just take the loss and not even try to appeal a low payment. Or they could just fill out a form on IPA's website and try their luck through you. Correct. Yep. Those are pretty much the options. But a lot of the PSAOs do them for the stores as part of the service. So mm-hmm. you definitely want to check on that because they get that from the claims data. So you don't have to go through a lot of the extra process. So if they have a good relationship, I guess, with their PSAO, they can also uh, give it a try with their PSAO as well. Of course. Yeah. I recommend going at it from as many angles as possible. Heather, what type of losses do pharmacies incur when they're paid below the reimbursement rates? It can range. It depends on the cost of the drug, how many generics are available. If it's a brand, you know, sometimes they lose $70, $80. Sometimes it's $3. Sometimes it's $300. It really all depends on the, the medication. Right. So there's really nothing for them to lose to file the appeal. The only thing that can happen is that the PBM will just deny it again after they file the appeal. So there's really nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose. And that also helps us if the PBMs don't follow the regulations, then that helps us add to the file to show legislators and other people who make decisions about PBMs and those types of insurance decisions. They will see what's going on and hopefully put a stop to it. That's a really good point that you're making because a lot of times various states like New Jersey and others, we have PBM laws that uh, specifically speak to appeals. And the only way to know if they're actually following the state statutes on appeals is to see what happens through the appeal process when a pharmacy is actually filing the appeal. Exactly. You can't catch them if you don't, you know, send it in. And is there a cost if an IPA member wants to file an appeal through you and work with you on their appeals? Is there any cost or charge? No, there is no cost or charge at all. That is a free service that IPA provides. Wow. And where do you get anything that's really for free anymore? Very true. So not only is there nothing for them to lose, there's no real risk involved to them, but it's also free. And because you're assisting them with it, they don't have to take as much time to file these appeals. Yes. Well, you know, I definitely encourage everyone to take advantage of that particular program. And Heather, she's been doing this for 20 years. So I highly recommend her services. So Heather, another topic, and I know this is really important to pharmacy owners, uh, is Medicare enrollment. Could you explain what Medicare enrollment is? Because we have some listeners who are not pharmacy owners, but they may be interested in what that is. And there's also an issue with pharmacy owners where they need to keep their Medicaid number active. So could you explain us what the enrollment is and why they need to keep this Medicare number active? Absolutely. Pharmacy would need to have a Medicare provider number. They need to have this to provide Medicare Part B benefits. They can do drugs for transplant patients, things like that. They would also do it for any DME billing that they might do, vaccines, things of that nature. If they're filling Medicare Part D prescriptions, they're going to want to have Medicare 
a Medicare number as a backup because if the PBM pays for something that Medicare should pay for, they want to make sure they can build that out to Medicare. Same goes for Medicaid. Medicaid, if you have a high Medicaid population, you need to have a Medicare number because the state, like the PBMs, they don't want to pay for something that they're not supposed to be paying for. So if they can get it from Medicare, they want it to be paid for by Medicare. So it is extremely important to have that. And I know a lot of states are moving or hopefully moving towards a fee-for-service Medicaid reimbursement formula. I know New York recently did this. It is extremely important to have that Medicare number and keep it active. Some stores, because they don't have a lot of Medicare population, they don't bill claims very often. You want to make sure you fill one claim every six months, something like that, through your regular Medicare provider ID number, not just through Part D, uh, through the regular Part B benefits. How often do pharmacies have to re-enroll in Medicare? How often does that happen? Uh, I mean, if your number is active and you keep billing prescriptions every six months or so, I don't believe you really have to re-enroll as long as the number stays active. If the number becomes inactive, you can reactivate it if you take care of it immediately. If not, your number will be deactivated and then you would have to re-enroll. There is an appeal process if they deny your first, you know, oops, I, I didn't send it in, but... Then after that, you have to re-enroll completely by either going to PCOS, which is an online website for enrollment, or going to medicare.gov and printing out the 855S form and filling that out and sending it in. But PCOS is probably the easier one. Now, have you found in your experience that there are some pharmacies that do Medicare business, but they did let their number lapse and... They ran to this kind of situation? I have. There have been a few pharmacies that have called where they did go to a fee-for-service Medicaid formula and their numbers because of various reasons, COVID, what have you, the pandemic, they were not able to bill during the last time period and they were inactivated. And I believe one of them was approved and the other is in the process of appealing. So they will deactivate your number. And when they contacted you, did they contact you for some assistance with this, like to assist them with getting their number activated again? Yeah, they just had some questions about why they had to have it if they're not billing for it, which I explained how the other plans need it for the dual eligible beneficiaries. And that's pretty much how to go about appealing it if they wanted to which they all did. So So basically they ran into this situation where for one reason or another, they let their number lapse and they needed to reach out to you because they needed information on how they can get it activated again. Correct. And what is the appeals process? How long does that take usually if somebody runs into this kind of situation? Well, the store that's going through it, it's been about two months now. Mm-hmm. And as of the last communication, they're being reviewed and they have 90 days to do that. So it could be another three months. So you're looking at at least five months, probably. Wow. So th- that's almost half a year. So if they let their number lapse, that could take quite a while. Absolutely. All right. Well- Absolutely. And if you lose your Medicaid number because you don't have your Medicare number, that's mm-hmm. six months without 
those beneficiaries being able to come to your store or get their medications from you. So that really means they're going to take, uh, if a pharmacy owner finds themselves in this situation, they're going to take a massive financial hit because of just kind of glossing over this. Correct. Yeah, you have to pay attention to those horrible, tiny little details, unfortunately, because they will come and check on it just every so often, just just as soon as you forget, usually, and then you end up in a, a sticky situation. You know, we all know, we both work with pharmacists and pharmacy owners. We know how busy they are in their day-to-day lives, dealing with patients, customers, running their business, and something like this could slip by. So I encourage anyone listening to this, if they're finding themselves in this situation and they don't know what to do, they can reach out to you, Heather, and you can kind of guide them through the process of what they need to do to get their Medicare number back. Absolutely. I will do what I can or recommend getting an attorney if if I think that that is a step that needs to be taken. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, hopefully it doesn't get to that, but you can't mess around with Medicare. So Heather, another topic, uh, biosimilars, they're a specific type of medications, and they're slowly coming out on the market. And with that comes something called fun with formularies. So just for those who aren't familiar with what formularies are, those are lists that pharmacy benefit managers come out with of drugs that they will pay for for people who are insured with the insurance policy. So if your drug isn't on that list, it may not be covered when you go to the pharmacy, but there are these drugs called biosimilars, which are coming out on the market. And what can you tell us about biosimilars and why should pharmacies, why should they be aware of their placement on PBM formularies? Absolutely. If you're filling Humira, their biosimilars out, I believe there's two or three of them, and there will be many, many more to come in the near future, I'm sure. You probably have patients on this medication. If you're filling it for them, their formulary might change all of a sudden. They might have to switch to the biosimilar. They may have to get a completely new authorization. They might have a preferred brand over, you know, you want to make sure that you are billing for what their insurance pays for. So they're currently on the Humira, but the new formulary, they want the biosimilar. You're going to want to make sure that you have enough of that biosimilar in stock. You have a bunch of patients on Humira, check and see which plans they're on, and then try to find out where the biosimilars are on their formulary. So Humira, is that hepatitis C drug? No, they use it for so many things. They use it for, I think, ulcerative colitis, arthritis, so many things. It's been around for a long time, and a lot of people are using it. It's been helpful for a lot of different conditions. So it's one of the more popular ones out there. So I think a lot of stores will probably start seeing these coming through pretty soon. So they might want to try to have the biosimilar in stock if they know that's preferred on the patient's formulary. And the name biosimilar is kind of interesting. So they're similar to the drug that they're kind of mimicking in a way. But is the idea is that the biosimilar is cheaper? Yes. It's not exactly a generic because it's a biologic, but it's biosimilar. It's close enough Mm -hmm. that 
they say you can interchange it. A lot of the plans have a preferred deal with the Humira. So if your patient is already on the Humira, they might be able to stay on it, but based on the patient's plan and how that is structured, you know, some of them might have to switch to the biosimilar just for cost purposes, or they might want to switch to it on their own for their own cost purposes. So you just want to be aware of what's going on in your store so you can be ready. And that way your patients don't have a disruption in their care. So, you know, that's good advice, Heather, for all the pharmacy owners out there. Be aware of the PBM's formularies. And if they're switching up the drugs in their formulas to certain biosimilars that are coming out on the market, obviously these drugs are coming out very slowly, much slower, I think, than anyone thought. But as they are slowly coming out, be on the lookout for them. Exactly. Be ready. And Heather, do you have any advice for pharmacy owners on avoiding PBM audits? A lot of times, you know, a pharmacy will run into a situation where the pharmacy benefit manager will want to audit them, possibly for an error, whether it's a medication error, possibly it's, it's just a, a typographical error. But what can you tell the pharmacy owners about PBM audits? I would tell them just to document everything. If there are changes to a prescription, get the name of the person you talk to, the date, just document everything. If you can do the math, I know a lot of pharmacists are very good at math, but, you know, try to figure out the drops on eye drops and things like that, which I know has been a point of contention for many years because a lot of elderly people have trouble with the little bottles and they lose drops, but just document everything. You can usually, by showing that you can do it, if doses seem extremely high, you know, over general therapeutic doses, you might want to, you know, just call the doctor, which I'm sure most of our stores would, but, you know, just document everything. That's the most important thing because audits will happen no matter what you do. They are checking And do you get stores calling you, telling you that they're being audited? And are the audits like some worse than others? Like some are being audited for a lot and some are just being audited just for small stuff? Absolutely. There's some stores. I mean, usually the ones that have really, really big audits are doing something maybe they shouldn't be, whether that's intentional or not. I don't know. They don't usually call us when it's that big because that goes straight to lawyers. But it's usually typos, a little math error here or there, nothing major. You know, patient gets the right medication. Everything's fine. It's usually that type of stuff that they end up coming after, just general nuisance stuff. And do pharmacy owners, like, you know, for some of these smaller audits, do they call you because they're looking for advice on what they should be doing or they're looking for information? For both, actually. They call, I have an audit coming up. What should I get together? What should I do? Or I just had an audit. This is what they came back with. How do I fight that? And I'll advise them, you know, the additional documentation they may need to get, stuff like that. And then, of course, if that comes back, you know, they deny that, then I would recommend getting an attorney and going that route at that point. Well, I think that's a fantastic service that you provide. So, you know, I want to encourage anyone listening to this podcast, if you're a pharmacist or pharmacy owner, and you have an audit that's coming up, but you have some questions, you need some advice, please give Heather an email or a call and she can get you some information that you need for your audit. 
So, you know, Heather, one last thing I wanted to let the listeners know is that as we're recording this podcast, we are recording over Zoom, but you're in the next office right next to mine. You're like the next door down. That is correct. We share a wall. So as we're recording this, I could kind of hear you almost through the wall right now. Yeah, I can hear you a little bit too. So I've been working with Heather, I think now for, it's got to be close to nine years. I've been here about nine years, but how long have you been at IPA? 20 years this year. Wow. And you just had your 20 year anniversary. Is that right? What, at IPA? Yes, in June. You know, I remember how I found out about it. I came to work that morning and somebody put happy anniversary sign right over your office door. They did. They did. It, it now hangs on my wall. Now, I'm not sure exactly who did it, but I have an idea. We can't mention the person on the podcast because we, we don't want to HIPAA compliant. Right, right. We want to be HIPAA compliant. You're absolutely right. You know, we don't want to release any information that could make us liable for anything. So right. that was kind of fun. So I just wanted to congratulate you on your 20 year well, anniversary. Thank you so much. It has been wonderful working here over the years and getting to know all of our stores and some of us, I've known a lot of these guys and girls for 20 years. So even longer from when I was at Horizons and J Health or Horizon Mercy, uh, however you might remember it. So yeah, it has been wonderful. That's awesome. And you know, I just want to let everyone know that I'm the government affairs director at IPA. And Heather has really been a valuable resource when it comes to legislation and uh, various issues and problems that pharmacies have. So I've leaned on Heather over years for a whole host of things. And I just wanted to say thank you, Heather. Your help has been tremendous over the years. Oh, thank you, Anthony. That's so sweet. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Well, Heather, thank you for joining me today. For more information and to learn more about Heather and how IPA can help you with appealing your underwater reimbursements, go to IPA Group. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the President and CEO, John Giampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.